0: Or listening to The Running Public.
1: From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast
0: is for you guys. The Running Public.
2: Look at that shoe wall. That is legit. Look at it. That's pretty nice. It's pretty nice.
1: Although I suppose there's probably only one shoe on here you would run in.
2: Yeah, there's probably only one that I've ever. I've run in a couple of those Nikes from college,
1: but uh, okay. But
2: for the most part, yeah, it's just been New Balance. So,
1: although they are upping their game,
2: they are, they are, they need to up the game a little more with trail shoes. So TBD there, but yeah. for the most part, it's been it's been pretty great. So,
1: although to be fair, most major shoe brands don't have good trail offerings. Even Nikes are pretty terrible.
2: Really? That's interesting to know.
1: I shouldn't say terrible. They're fine for trail running. They don't have like stripped down racers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The ones I've been racing in um, from New Balance are are pretty good. They're lightweight enough, but still feel like they have a little bit of sturdiness that I'm not going to like break a toe. But um, but yeah, I'm so new to all of the, the trail off road, off track stuff that I don't even know what's good quality or not yet. So
0: there's so many things we want to dive into today with you. It's just incredible. But I bet you, I, I suppose, not that we need to talk contractual ob- obligations, but you have to wear New Balance even if you're not on the track or the roads. Is that still kind of your position? Or is OCR like an exception?
2: No. So, well, um, so they're still my sponsor through the end of the year um, and haven't gotten into the conversations of is this going to continue on further? The Basically what happened was when I decided to step back from the track, you know, I gave them a call and said, hey, this is what's happening. And I understand if you want to kind of part ways because I'm not fulfilling what you signed me for this year, which was track and pursuing Tokyo. Um, And they, I said, I'm going to do trail racing. And they said, well, you know, we're, we're, we are interested in that. We don't really have a trail presence. We want to grow that um, long-term. So we're happy to keep supporting you this year. Um, I will note that this was my first year that they had actually dropped me from being a salaried sponsored athlete. So I'll just be very blunt. Like that was part of the motivation of of deciding to step back from the track to say, you know, if I was getting paid still, maybe I would have continued pushing through a bit longer, um, through injury, but, um, without having that extra boost, I kind of thought, you know what, this is a decision for me to make and not feel obligated to, you know, that I'm getting full-time paid for this. So, um, Anyway, still technically sponsored by them. They are interested in trail stuff. So we will see what happens, Um, you know, come time to renegotiate or have that conversation. But for now, um, yeah, they're still supporting me. I don't even know if they even pay attention to my Spartan stuff. Um, So I'm still wearing all New Balance. I'm not like racing in the full kit um, Mm -hmm. because that seems a little bit much for just age group racing. But um, but yeah,
0: I, I wear the gear. So. Those shoes are so covered in mud, they won't even be able to tell what brand you're wearing. So, by the way, I, I feel like with, so you you listen to the podcast once in a while, it sounds like, so you kind of have an idea, like we like to go back and get a backstory, because I want to get to know you as an athlete, but like there's so many things to dive in with you. And I just want to touch on something really quick, because you made like a very sharp transition uh, recently, which um, we don't see very often in this sport. Um, but you made a post, I was, I was doing my research on you, Stephanie, and you made a post about something called like the, what I call the yips, which is, you know, the Simone Biles, um, situation where she basically came across mental barriers to her success. And it caused her to obviously her whole Olympic thing we know about. And you experienced that a little bit with the steeplechase, correct? I did. Does that factor in a little bit to kind of what's going on with you now, or is it? Are they not related? I'm just curious. I wanted to jump right to that out of curiosity.
2: Yeah, no, it definitely has an impact because the long story short is that I haven't run a chase since 2017. Um, after falling in the final of the Olympic trials in 2016 and missing the team, um, for anyone who doesn't know, it was a battle for second and third place between me um, Courtney Farricks and Colleen Quigley. And it was the three of us coming with the last water jump. Um, they were pulling around me and we were all together in the very last barrier. I hit it and fell. And so that was that. Was that. There was not going to be any more time um, to try and catch up or whatever. So that was my heartbreak. Um, and after that, I was just so determined to get better at the barriers. My technique was never great. It was fine. I had run fast enough. But um, you know, the way that the steeple is evolving now, it you need to be a great technician. Um and so I was so determined to fix that. And I think I was I just went too far where I was just so focused and beating myself up so much that I almost like when you try and hold on to sand and it just trickles out of your hand. Um, I just lost it. And my my hurdles felt like they were getting worse and worse. And all of the 2017 season, I raced expecting to fall again. Um, and just having that in the back of my mind, um, you know, that was really tough. And then I did fall in the water jump in the prelim of the 2017 US Championships. Um, and the next day we went out, my coach and I, and I went over probably 150 barriers, just forcing myself to do it in order to line up for the final. Um, I I don't think I would have been able to like have the mental toughness to do that. Um, or the confidence to do that. Um, if I hadn't gone out and just like pounded barriers, but, but I was exhausted and then, you know, it was a hot, it was in Sacramento that year. And, um, I did fine. I got fourth, but that's not making a team. That's not what I go for. And so after that, yeah, I just had this huge mental block. It just was, I tried so hard that I almost like pushed myself to the other end of the spectrum. So coming into 2020, getting back to hurdling, getting back to barriers was super important, obviously. Um, And it was really messy. I did a lot of sports psych. I actually did a type of um, therapy called um, EMDR, which is supposed to kind of help you with some like trauma. Um, And it was great. I I highly recommend it, but there was just a, I was forming bad habits physically that was really hard to break. When it comes to approaching the barrier, I was stuttering like, you know, someone who'd never even done it before. And then I'll be super transparent. The first time I needed to go over a water jump, which we just were starting with sand jumps, you know, that's kind of how the trajectory goes. um, When you're just getting back to it, I saw the barrier and I freaked out. I I mean, in full disclosure, like I broke down and cried looking at that, like wearing my spikes, like getting ready to run at it. I couldn't do it. And um, it's just so wild because it was something I'd done hundreds of times before, never thought twice about it. And and I'd fallen before in my college career and it didn't ever affect me the way it affected me um, between 16 and 17. So yeah, the yips were, were and maybe are real. Um, I'll say I, I've, in all my prep for the trials and stuff, um, I actually hadn't gone over a full water jump. Um, I'd done some sand jumps and stuff, but um, it was really not going very well. Um, and I can't say that I had conquered
1: those yips. So, wow. Yeah. So you, you have a lot of other things we have to hit, but it begs the question, if approaching a water jump triggered that type of reaction, why in the world would you try obstacle course racing?
2: (laughs) Oh, that's a
1: great <laughs> question. Because it's it's like like for example, West Virginia was the most recent race you ran. What is the first thing we did? We ran 100 meters, and then what did you have to do? You had to go up over a hay bale. Yeah, you know, and I, and I watched your video coming up to it, and like you you have to have been feeling some of that, you know, chopping my feet. What's going to happen? Obviously, it's a much different surface, but then there's bombing down super technical ravines and creek running, and you have to go up over logs and. The saw horses and the wall, like all of that seems like it's kind of like steeplechase barriers on steroids. Like what, why would you choose that? Was that intentional?
2: Um, well, two things. One, I, I sent a video to my coach. I got a video from like the Palmerton race, going over a wall, um, and I sent it to my track coach, um, who I'm still very close to. And he was like, "That's the best barrier I've seen you do in years." You know, it was just um, so. Honestly, I don't see the connection. I, I see what you're. I, I understand what you're saying,
1: but so you don't get that coming up to a, a hurdle or a wall or something to jump. You don't have it. Is very specifically tied to steeple barriers.
2: It's very specifically tied to the water jump, yes. Um, wow. So if Spartan were to put one of those out there, I'm, maybe I would go very slowly over it. But also, it's a different thing to me in OCR. Like, it, it's a different speed. It's a different purpose. Like, you know, in a people, you're. To me, the way that my brain works, it um, it's almost like that. Um, meme of like the girl with all the math in front of her head. That's how it was for me going up to a water barrier because like my steps had to be so on to jump with the right foot, land with the left foot, push, whatever. Um, I wasn't one of those steeplers who could go off with any foot. And that probably would have made a big difference for me if I could. But early on in my career, I chose a foot because landing the other way hurt you know, I would always jam the other landing foot. So, um, but with this, I can just get over that wall. It doesn't matter. Like it can be very ungraceful. And for the most part, I'm not, you know, no one's watching me do it. So I can just do, you know, yeah, it's fun. I don't really see the connection.
0: You're in, you're in like the, uh, the ignorance is bliss phase with OCR. Whereas I, when you, which is like the most wonderful, but also kind of frustrating phase of this whole sport but when you talk about the yips, when we talk about the yips, and for people who don't know, it's basically where you, you have this like mental block which prevents you from doing something that was automatic your whole life. Suddenly it becomes an insanely complex and internal process, and you make mountains out of molehills, and suddenly you can't do what you've always done. It's like a weird brain body connection. And when you talk about the yips, like the, this must be so refreshing for you to come into a sport like this because the yips don't happen to. Every common day, or athletes—they happen to the best of the best in the top of their sport, who are micro analyzing fractions of seconds in technique. You don't hear anybody talk about the yips as a weekend warrior, and so I could just see now, like I'm just listening to, you, maybe understanding a little bit, like why this would be very exciting and very different and very refreshing. Are you feeling any of that stuff?
2: Being excited and refresh? Absolutely, yes, yeah. totally. Um, I've loved this pivot and. Um, you know, I'm working with a new coach. I have just a new approach um, just to training in general, where I'm still doing it very seriously. I'm still taking my workouts very seriously, and um, I have big goals. But I also know at the end of the day that it's just for me. And if I want to stop, if I want to take a day off today and not do my workout, no one's going to care. Like my coach might be a little bummed, but he's not going to like yell at me or something. If I say, Hey dude, I need to, I'm putting the brakes on my season. I need a little more recovery, whatever it is. That's all okay. Um, And so I think just having that flexibility instead of the stringent schedule and expectations that I started putting on myself with track. um, I mean, frankly, I was just burnt out of it and this is so refreshing and new And it is actually so lovely to go to Spartan races, trail races, and nobody knows who I am. And, you know, I I actually really love the age group because men and women go together and I'm just running with the guys for so much of it. Um, They pass me on obstacles, but we yo-yo with the running and they're just like, who
0: are you? What are you doing? Um, Do you know what's funny about that? Sorry to interrupt is um, one of my athletes that I coach. Uh, sent me a message this week actually and he's like you know there's somebody that you really should interview her name is Stephanie Garcia and she kept failing shit and then passing me and then failing shit and passing me so I was helping her with some techniques and talking on obstacles and I was like well funny buddy we're interviewing her uh, this week so anyways I can speak that one of my athletes experienced you blowing by him and then failing and then blowing by him and failing, but. I just wanted, that was my own little personal story. So he's going to be very excited that we got you on this week.
2: Oh, I'm so honored. Yeah. No, but it's just nice to be like new. The community is different. Honestly. I mean, again, you guys probably understand there's probably a little bit of uh, more of a low key vibe with trails and OCR than there is with the chat community. Not to say that we're not friends or whatever. They're not great people. Um, But I don't know. It just, people cheer for each other on this. I've had such a great welcome from elite women, from age group women. Um, and yeah, I just, I feel super lucky that this is going so smoothly.
1: You talked in jest about not wearing the kit, you know, your, your, your full new balance kit that it's indistinguishable. Like, Or or it's absolutely distinguishable. You see the pink bottom, like, you know what you're looking at when you see the new balance kit. And there's like this progression of running where you play running and then you get excited about improving running. And then if you're fortunate as you were, you get good enough where suddenly it matters. And then after a while, there's no playing anymore. And you're back to kind of OCR is playing running. Like, there's some there's some money on the line, but it's minuscule. There's some sponsor on the line, but it's minuscule. Like it's kind of playing running. Mm-hmm. And with no one really like you don't have to go to a mixed zone after races and you don't have to do your, your pre-race interviews and you don't have to go to the corral and do the holding area beforehand. And you like it's none of that. I have to imagine, ask someone who's burnt out on running before. I have to imagine you're starting to fall back in love with it. Maybe that's presumptuous of me, but maybe you're playing again for the first time in a while.
2: 100% accurate. Yes, I am. With As I mentioned, I'm, I'm working with David Roach um, as my coach. And we, again, we have, we have big goals. And I know that when um, I make the jump to elite in OCR specifically, that that will maybe bring some extra pressure uh, or pride in me, ego. But um, at the same time, as I was saying before, like, it's just so, it's a, I'm training in a new refreshed way um the things we're doing are different you know i've just now started getting up to higher mileage like i would be doing year round in track training um and it doesn't feel like i'm doing the same amount of work to be honest it's um it's awesome and so yeah i mean i miss being able to go out and like just go crush some thousands on the track or whatever, or you get that feedback of like, mm-hmm. I know I can run this pace. I have no idea what I could run right now. Like mm-hmm. you were to tell me, go do quarters on a track. I don't know how fast I could go, Um, but I don't know. It doesn't, it's nice to not have to judge myself in that way.
1: For sure. So, I, I do want to get into a lot of this later, but I'm since you brought up speed, I'm curious about it because I think you're the fastest woman we've had come over. We've we've had um a a gal who I think was fourth or fifth at Olympic trials in marathon, but in terms of five K mile, I think you are fastest, like fifteen thirteen, is that right? Five K and
2: Fifteen Sixteen. Fifteen sixteen. 15, yeah. Um, 428, which, four four, four twenty-eight.
1: If you did oh, your homework four twenty four low four twenties, <laughs> low fours in the fifteen hundred, low 15s in five K. I, I think that's about like as fast as we've seen. But we've also had some guys come over. You know, we had David Torrance come over, who's about as fast as you get outside of like true like Olympic medalists. Mm-hmm. And not everyone's speed translates. Joshua McAdams. Joshua McAdams was another stud. His speed translated a little better. How have you just I it can be a short answer, but have you found your ability to run trails matches? Or are you is there a big learning curve with the terrain?
2: For me, um, thus far the terrain has been tricky. I'll be honest. I am not comfortable bombing downhills, technical hills. And where I am, um, where I'm mostly living in training and the races I've done so far, like there are points where I'm like, oh my gosh, do not come to a complete stop going down this downhill because you're so nervous of tumbling. Um, also I didn't do much trail running during my track career. And if I ever did, I would go very slow because it, a twisted ankle or something would would ruin a week of training or racing or whatever. So um, I just need to kind of let go a little bit there. Um, but I don't know, it's hard to judge because trails are so subjective, you know, that um, thats the beauty of them. Exactly, which is part of the
0: refreshed feeling I'm having now. Mm. I feel like there's like, there's like a million questions I want to ask you about right now. And I also don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Without like getting to know you as a human, but I wanna, I wanna say the one thing I respect about what you're doing right now is, I don't sense an ego with this, um, and that may be a weird thing to say, but you you performed at the highest level. You're competing to make Olympic teams under the spotlight. You got a blue check mark by your Instagram, okay, and. Am I the only one in this room who doesn't? Yeah, you get out of here, Bracken. Oh,
1: that's so embarrassing.
0: Listen, I got mine the cheap way. I got mine the cheap way. She got hers the real way. <laughs> different. But point, point I'm making is that, and then to take somebody, if I just put myself in your shoes for a second, Stephanie, and I, and I think like, man, if I was at that level, and then to come and commit to the age group which must seem like a a fun run in a sense to you compared to the pressure you've been under. And then to say, not only that, but then to commit and say, you know what? I recognize that I have things to work on and I'm going to stay right here this year. I know I can run with these girls in elite and maybe be the best in this sport, like holding yourself back and like brushing ego aside, coming from the level you've come from is like, I I don't know if I could do exactly what you're doing right now. And I admire that.
2: Well, thank you. I have to say, as much as you're saying that, I before Asheville, I did one of these um, obstacle training courses that you pay a bazillion dollars for, and they take you on the course <laughs> and let you practice.
0: Um, wait, what is, and, wait, what is this? What is this course? The
1: obstacle specialist course?
2: Yes. It was oh, great. Oh, through Spartan. Through Spartan. Yeah. It was the day before Asheville, and we didn't even get to the ones that I really needed help on, but whatever. Um, we were at the multi-rig. And that is one where until West Virginia, I had never even been able to get past the rings to get up to the like bar. And, you know, it just was, doesn't compute for me. That's just not, I just don't have the technique or the confidence or the understanding of how my body works to move in that way. If that makes sense. Um, and, and Lindsay um, and Ryan came running up and we did kind of say, Oh guys get on this. Like, I know they're not supposed to, but um, Lindsay went through it and it was so effortless and like, she wasn't even really trying and she just gets through this multi-rig that I had been like trying and getting frustrated on and I just was blown away. And so as much as you're saying, you know, yeah, yeah. I acknowledge that I'm a very strong runner. And if it was just a cross country race, I'd probably be vying for an elite podium, but it's a different whole different sport. And I have a lot of respect for the obstacles themselves and for these women who have spent years working on that. Um, And I've spent mere months and barely made progress. And so I'm very happy to stick with age group to continue getting the experience and learning um, because I still fail seven obstacles each race and that is not going to cut it in an elite field. Um, And so, yeah,
1: I don't know. I like that answer, and I think what Kirk was referring to is that we've we've oftentimes had people come over with uh, "your sport is a joke" attitude. Which I mean, as runners, there's a hierarchy. Track runners generally don't hold road runners in as high as regard and they don't go and run world cross each year like our best track do not do cross and the cross you know look down on triathletes and triathletes look down on trail runners and like ultra runners are the the worst of the worst except for obstacle course racing Like that's kind of the accepted hierarchy with a lot of the the running community. And so oftentimes we have someone who will come over. Back in the early days, Joe DeSena would headhunt some people and bring them over. Herman Silva came over. He's a two-time marathon champ at New York City. He was 208, I think, or 205. And we had a bunch of Olympians, some triathletes come over. And they all just came in and ran their mouth, which I get. But you didn't do that part of it. So yeah, obviously you have ego. You're a professional athlete. But you didn't come in saying you're less than what I've been expecting. And so I'm going to destroy you. You came in saying, I'm going to learn the ropes and then hopefully I'll destroy you after that. But it wasn't like that, that I have disdain for you, which as Kirk and I were college runners, we had disdain for this before we came, you know, it's like, we understand where that comes from. And you haven't shown that at least externally. And that's been refreshing for a lot of people in the sport. Well, what's
2: really interesting is my introduction to Spartan was in 2016. I was like freelance writing for some online magazine for women, women's sports, endurance sports, and I interviewed Amelia Boone, okay. and she was my introduction. And she was she is such a badass and just so you know, such an icon in our in OCR. um, That you can say our
0: sport if you want. I know. Sorry, I was going to say our sport. You belong now.
2: Yeah. Um so so that to me um was my introduction to it and seeing someone at her level um as like my role model, it, yeah, it does I maybe I have a different level of respect for it. And I'm not just kind of seeing the like weekend warrior, you know, tough mutter, ha ha kind of thing. But um yeah, I saw it very in a very serious way. So maybe that's why. But yeah, I have great respect for it. it. I, yeah, I love following, you know, one of my favorite women in the sport right now is Alex Walker. And every time she puts up a, you know, obstacle practice, I'm just like mind blown emoji because it, she makes it look so badass and, and and again, effortless. And I'm over here like, how do I move my body on this monkey bars in this playground? Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What I want to, what I want to do here is I just want to keep down this current track and I need to stop. We need to stop ourselves back and we yep. need to take a step back real quick, and then I want to pick up like the why and how you even heard of this, this sport, and how you got into it, and what your plans are. Let's wait on that, though, because I don't really know you well as an athlete, um, or your upbringing as an athlete. Again, I've done my research and stuff like that, but um, let's set the stage here. First, currently, are you living in Arizona still? No. Where are you now?
2: Um, I'm bouncing back and forth between Louisville, Kentucky, and Philadelphia,
0: yeah, the, the classic Louisville, Kentucky, Philadelphia. Trade
2: study, whatever.
0: <laughs> <Why>? Yeah,
2: so <laughs> why? Okay, so um, again, I'll, I'll keep this brief. My boyfriend is um, works in pediatrics and has worked at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia previously. When we were living in Arizona, he got an um, offer to be a research fellow back in Philly, so he took that. At the same time, I was retiring from track and figuring out my next step. And I got um, an early career opportunity outside of just running um, that is based here in Louisville. So we've, we're kind of separately in these places and I get to be back and forth um, because transitioning has been nice, but it's been really flexible and really remote. You know, I have ability to be remote and to travel and to race and still train at a really good level. And so, yeah, that's the, the nuts and bolts of it.
0: Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. You lost that uh, altitude uh, advantage though. Um, So Bracken, I know you like to normally bring this with our guests, but I would like to, I'd like to know the origin of like Stephanie as an athlete and where you, where you grew up and all that. And then we'll work us towards today. But like is running always been in your blood family thing? Where did you grow up? All that fun stuff.
2: Yeah. So I was born in Austin, Texas, mostly grew up there. Um, my mom, um, she was athletic, um, definitely not like high level or, or like even competitive level, but she, you know, ran for her little town high school in Florida and whatever. And so she would take us to the track, um, you know, just to wear us out. But I was like, so type A that I really would. I would run my laps, you know, whatever. Um, I will say I really wanted to be a ballerina. That was my dream. Um, but I have no rhythm. And so it didn't actually work out. Um, Same with so, Bracken.
0: Um, yeah. Oh, Kirk. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs>
2: um, so... Yeah, we moved up to Northern Virginia um, when I started middle school, and I don't know. I just kept falling into running. Like I want again, wanted to be a cheerleader, but my friends were doing cross country in high school, and I just am so um, competitive in whatever it is that I'm doing. That's just my mindset. That you know, we go out to cross country for the first day of practice. They have us do a time trial one other freshman girl beats me and I'm there. Everyone's like, she's going to be the good freshman. And I was like, no, I'm going to be the good freshman. And, you know, you just kind of keep working your way up like that um, without really knowing what it means or where you stand. I wasn't a footlocker kid. I wasn't a state champ. I just kept every race I was in just trying to be the very best. Um, Anyway, I was good enough to be very lightly recruited. Um, Ended up, Wanting to go to the University of Virginia just because I was a nerd and like it's a good school, um, and they let me on as a recruited walk-on, so um, technically walked onto the team.
1: Isn't that a nice term they they throw around for people?
2: <laughs> makes you makes your ego feel good, like oh they wanted me, but um, just didn't have scholarship.
0: But uh, you, sorry to interrupt, but you didn't you didn't show just natural talent wise. You didn't show. That talent has, didn't show through in high school. Did you run cross country and track? I guess yeah, I want to I slow you down. Okay.
2: Yeah, I did. And I like made the state meet. And I, you know, I, I was, what was my, I think I was like maybe fourth one year in the state for um cross country. But like, I was never like a standout. People weren't like, oh, this girl's going to be, you know, the district champion or the state champion, or she's going to Foot Locker. Like I just was kind of ignorant about the sport, to be honest. I was just doing it. I loved it and I worked hard at it, but I wasn't running all summer. I wasn't like, I did swim team for my high school for two years because we didn't have indoor track and I didn't, I didn't even know that was a thing. So I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm good at swimming. I'll do the swim team, whatever. So I just. You made Virginia look
1: good. Like they unearthed the diamond in the rough.
2: Well, I will say that, so i had heard of this steeple chase my senior year of high school. I wanted to do hurdles, but my coaches never let me. I was a mile two mile kid, right? And so uh, I go to my coach at Virginia as a freshman and I say, I want to try steeple. And he thought I was crazy, but he said, fine, because no one ever wanted to try steeple. Mm-hmm. This was 2007. Um, and... I made it to NCAAs as a true freshman um, and with very poor form, as we were saying. Um, But uh, I think I double-footed every single water jump that year. But, um, yeah, so it just – my story with running is I just – whatever level I was at, I would try and be the best I could be, and that would always get me to the next level, if that makes sense. But there was never any long-term plan or this – understanding of where I could go in the sport. I just didn't know. I think you say ignorance is bliss with where I am in OCR. That's how I approached my running. And it ended up just, I kept, I I kept succeeding. I kept getting to that next step. So, um, but I think that was kept me really balanced and kept me healthy and kept me hungry, if that makes sense. So um, yeah, so I was, on Virginia's team, I earned my way to a full scholarship. I was making NCAAs every year in the steeple. Um, and by my fifth year, I, um, ended up being runner up to Emma Coburn in the NCAA final. Um, and that year at us championships, I was fourth, And then later that summer, I ran the A standard at the time, um, and the third place girl got injured, and I got to go to my first world team, um, 2011 in Daegu, South Korea. Um, And after that, yeah, I was able to go pro, Um, sign with an agent, and had New Balance as my sponsor. And from there, it's just kind of been on the roller coaster and full-time professional athlete. So did that since 2011. Eleven and made another world team in 2015, where I finished ninth in the world. Um, 2016, as I said, didn't make the Olympic team, but later that summer, I was the fourth American to ever break 920, which was this special barrier in for women's steeple at the time. Now people are blowing by it, but I will say. We've had two other women since then break nine twenty and no other American has yet. So they're coming close. Like I think this next season there will be, but it just shows that the women's steeple still is a very um in development event.
1: So that's I mean, that's a meteoric rise from <laughs> was Unsigned Walk on.
2: It was a long time, I will say. Like mm-hmm. it was yeah. not year on year. There were definitely some really rough seasons <laughs> where I wasn't PRing. And I wasn't sure if this was right for me, if that makes sense.
1: What was your worst season? Because college is not, I mean, outside of, let's say, like maybe like a Cole Hawker. And we don't even see what's going on behind closed doors there. Obviously, you can't race that much throughout a year and have a great time in college. But outside of someone like that who just steps in and does everything, college is a roller coaster. It's a tough time in your life to try to be a semi-pro. So what what were those tough points for you in college?
2: Well, I'll say my toughest point was actually my first two years out of college, 2012 really? and 2013. It was a different time as a pro runner. There wasn't, social media wasn't as big. There wasn't this like, there were some, there was like the Oregon Track Club and that was kind of it for pro groups. And so if you weren't there, you were like one-on-one with the coach and a lot of people stuck with their college coaches and for me in particular, I followed a college coach to a new job that she had took and I was totally alone. I was in a new city, I didn't know anything, she was busy we, our relationship was kind of fractured as I was becoming a pro and having an agent and having other people telling me what to do. I didn't know what to do. I literally didn't know when do I roll out? What do I eat? How much should I hydrate? Like all these things that now athletes can go on Instagram and like look at three stories and know like, Oh, this is what all these other pros do. I just didn't have that guidance or, or knowledge. So I'll be honest, I really sucked in 2012 and 2013. And I was really on the verge of of deciding to to quit because I wasn't doing what I thought I was supposed to do, which was, you know, win races, make teams, make finals, whatever. And so, um, yeah, but I took one more shot at it and went and joined this group, Firm and Elite, based in South Carolina, coached by Robert Gary, who's a two-time steeplechase Olympian. And that was the pivot point, and that changed everything for me. And um, yeah, so
0: what I what I read in my perusings was that you're you kind of go against the grain. And I still want to divert back to your high school college transition, so don't let me not do that. But um, like you're the exception to the rule, and the fact like you were more of a lone wolf with your training is from what I understood. Um, maybe I, I read something that was wrong, but. It was, you know, these training groups typically get together and people train together and that, you know, facilitates growth and competition within your daily schedule. Um, but you oftentimes did your own thing, like, oh, I'm going to live here and train here on my own without a group. Is that is that true as far as your training goes?
2: Well, that has happened in parts of my career. But I will say that, like, my best years, 2014, 15, 16, even 17, because despite how my simple yips were coming up. I ran really fast in flat races, um, where I ran my 1500 and my mile PRs. I was with a group then. I was with Furman Elite and we all lived in South Carolina and we met, you know, every morning at 9am and workouts and stuff. And, um, it just, it was more men than women. Um, I always had like one or two training partners. Um, and, yeah. So I, I did have a group setting then. Um, after that, I moved out to Sacramento and trained with Kim Connolly an, another New Balance Olympian. Um, and just it was just me and her and her coach slash husband. Um, and then after that, like, yeah, I have jumped around. I have done a lot of things on my own. Um, but I always made sure I had like the guidance of a good coach. So that has been the more important aspect of it than necessarily having consistent training partners every day because I can motivate myself to get out the door. I'm lucky. I have a very supportive boyfriend who will bike workouts with me or whatever, Um, but I I am very like internally driven. Um, And so as long as I have someone who's writing the workouts for me and giving me the training and the guidance um, and has the big picture in mind, I'll execute as much as I can.
1: How did you find firm and elite? Because they, as far as I know, they weren't a New Balance team, were they?
2: No, it, what was so no, so it was really beautiful because in the beginning, like I said, in 2013, 14 was when it started, mm-hmm. and um, groups weren't really a big thing and they weren't really like sponsored by a shoe company mm-hmm. yet. And so this was just like, just Coach Gary wanted to have a place for these like lone wolf elites to kind of okay. come together and give them support. It was a really awesome concept. Like it had private donors giving us support. Furman was giving us housing. Like it was really cool. Um, and it, it's no longer in existence. I hope he brings it back one day. Um,
0: is that how, right how Hansen works as well? I don't know enough about that, but is this similar concept, Bracken, you would know probably too.
1: Yeah, I think it is a similar concept. I mean, it's it's Brooks Hansen, but... Oh,
0: it's got the Brooks label with it? Okay.
1: But people are allowed... To just, I, I shouldn't speak about inner workings, but I'm fairly certain people can pop in and do training blocks with them.
2: And there's like, back in the day, there was McMillan Elite that was in Flagstaff. And I don't know, I didn't think it was like just one sponsor. Maybe it was, I don't know. But um, yeah, there have been groups like that that have been... But this was definitely an, a different thing where... That's cool. We had like, I was New Balance. There was a couple of New Balance girls. There was like Nike guy. There was Saucony guy. So it was it was more of the collection of athletes versus, you know, we're all working for the same shoe sponsor.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So you talked about a rough transition from college. I'm curious about your first transition to Worlds. Because you went to da- Daegu, which is what, like 15, 16 hour flight or something wild like that. And you have different time, crazy different time zones and a language barrier. And then you have rounds like we do rounds at NCAAs, but not like Worlds or Olympics. So I'm, I, I'm I'm I just want to know the story of being a fifth year senior flying overseas to Daegu and having to run suddenly on the arguably biggest stage, because to a lot of people, Worlds is tougher than the Olympics. Olympics, you can you're limited to number of spots for the uh, East Africans. You're limited. Like if, if the USA has seven great sprinters, only three can go to the, to the Olympics. Worlds is a lot more open. So what was that whole experience like?
2: It was like, I mean, that first one, you know, I think I had, I don't even think I had well, I've been over to Europe to race a little bit that summer, which is where I got the A standard to qualify me to actually get to Worlds once. Okay.
1: So you had at least had a taste.
2: A little taste, but this was like nothing I'd experienced before. I will say it was amazing because for Daegu in particular, there was a athlete village. You know, I roomed with Jenny Simpson, literally like a <laughs> little, you know, our little bed. ask
1: for a better drop. Yeah.
2: And that was the year she won the 1500. Like... She was watching my Mad Men DVDs like before, you know, going we to that race and winning. Um, and in our suite, we had Shannon Roberry. We had um, we had so many amazing women um in my little suite of of dorms or whatever. And so I was really lucky to have those kinds of examples around me there. Um, but yeah, you just kind of learn with um with European and especially like Asian races, like. You have to go and acclimate right away. It's you know you got to get on their schedule. You got to drink a lot of coffee in the during the day to keep you like awake and um, just try and get in a routine as fast as possible. Um, I'm really lucky that I've always trained and lived in like humid places, except for my time yeah. in Phoenix. Um, but you know, so the humidity didn't kill me. But I also I didn't make it out of the first round. It was a wh- you know I was not expecting to go to Worlds. So I hadn't been prepping all summer for this, you know, physically and emotionally. Um, and so just going and being out there was totally wild. And, but it was a great to have that in my back pocket for then later when I did make Worlds um, in 2015 to go and know I've been here before. I know how to do this. Like I have better strategies for how to run the rounds and I want to do something here. Um, so, which I did when finishing in the top 10. So it's just a, um, yeah, I was crazy, but.
1: 15, was that Beijing? Yes. Okay. So how much carryover, I mean, of, of that learning process from Korea then over to, to Beijing was there, was that super beneficial to be thrown to the fires for second round in there to be like, I got this. Or was there like this big, like procedural push towards not prepping for time trials anymore for standards for prepping for the rounds and for tactical races? Did it all just come together? Or did you just pull something out?
2: No, it came together for sure. Definitely from that world experience, but then in subsequent years, being able to go race diamond leagues, I'd raced the Shanghai diamond league several times. So doing that trip to China, knowing how to do that flight and how to like, get in and I don't know if I would be this way today, but in my like really great years of track, like you just get into this rhythm of like, okay, you go over and you sleep on the plane this much and then you get there and you have your breakfast right away and you like stay up and go for your shakeout immediately so that you're not falling asleep. Like it just all kind of fell into place, all those, um, habits and, um, like systems that you put together as um, through experience of doing it Mm -hmm. multiple times. So um, I would say that the, you know, when you talk about worlds being as much or almost as competitive as the Olympics, I'd say diamond leagues are right there. Um, And I had been lucky to do several major diamond leagues between Daegu and Beijing. So getting that like big stadium experience and knowing like, you can run in front of all these people and you just drown it out. Um, That's a really, that's a skill you have to get through over time.
0: Yeah. Something, something I want to ask before we pick up from that point is what I'm still a little cloudy on is um, so this like Bracken labeled it as like a mediocre rise to somehow. No, I said meteoric. Oh, meteoric. From from
1: walk-on to NCAA qualifier obviously yeah five years to worlds but one year from walk-on to ncaa
0: i thought you said me i thought you said mediocre i was like that's a little hurtful bracken do you guys just insult <laughs> everyone here what's happening I was just like my co-host is a jackass <laughs> okay well so in
1: your shabby uh, well, professional career
0: <laughs> hold on. stop it okay what what <laughs> what, what i want to know is um I, i'm still not understanding maybe like the transition from high school before we again, continue on like the transition from like high school to college. And then suddenly now you're traveling around the world, competing on the world stage, um, being a stud is what do you attribute that to? Is it simply just the focus in the off seasons and the continual year round training? Because usually people with a lot of talent, which you obviously have combined with a a good work ethic, clearly, um, That shows through in high school, whether you swim in off season or you don't, whether you like talent doesn't hide, as we say. So, like, what would you attribute your success to or your lack thereof in high school, let's say, compared to now? I'm curious about that transition.
2: I think that I've definitely been a little bit of a late bloomer, for sure. I think that I um, I think that there is a certain. quality where you kind of just rise to the occasion, if that makes sense. And so you rise to the level of your competition that you're surrounded with or whatever. And this Mm -hmm. is not to say that I like had a shitty high school or whatever. Like I was in a very great county and there were some amazing runners in my region and in the state and whatever. But
0: well, well, uh, in fourth, sorry. And fourth in the state is fantastic but typically people who take fourth in the state don't end up vying for an Olympic berth. So yeah, to credit, yes. Fourth in the state's great.
2: Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is like that I, I just go back to that whole like ignorance is bliss thing where like, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what I was missing. I just was working as hard as I could with the parameters I was given. And then when I would get to the next level, I would then adjust and Learn through time and experience and whatever, and um, to to get to that next the top of that next level, if that makes sense. And so um, I think I'll attribute it to each level I got to, I'd get stronger and stronger coaching, or I'd get more specific coaching for me instead of like everyone here runs thirty minutes today. It's like, oh, Stephanie, you need this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was learning more about my what's best for me with recovery and and fueling and all those little things, which I'm still learning now, I, I feel like, um, and adjusting now to this new, you know, trail OCR world. Um, but I just think that I never stopped believing in myself. And I just kept rising to the occasion that rising to the new levels I would get to. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's not like a really clear answer, but I just think that, I don't, I don't know. I guess you're right. Their talent was there. It just wasn't being honed um, fully probably by like my high school coaches. No disrespect to them. They were great, but they probably didn't know what they were working with. And then I get to college and it gets a little bit more um, honed and, and talent comes out and then you get to another level and another coach who can recognize it and, and form it in a different way.
1: Does that make sense? It does, mm-hmm. and and I think that some listeners right now will think we're doing a disservice to you by saying you weren't like all world in high school, and they'll say she was fourth that state. You know what I would have given for fourth that state. Like mm-hmm. if like breaking it down mathematically, it's just a numbers game. Most runners would say if I were top four in my state, I can punch my ticket anywhere. But we mm-hmm. fail to realize that means with fifty states, you're top two hundred in the U.S., which now. There's only so many scholarships to go around. So top four is so good. There's only three people better than in your state, but we have a lot of states. And some states are stronger than others. Like California, they might look top 12 and give scholarships or 20. Illinois might get 12 or 20. You know, Nevada or someplace might only get two. You know, it's it's just different states are different. But top 200 then go on to college. And then of those 200 incoming freshmen, combined with all the thousands who are already there, suddenly, what did they take to, to nationals that year in steeple? Was it like 16 or something?
2: No, 20? it's probably like, I think it was probably more like 30 or something. Okay. Nation, yeah.
1: So you went from top 200 high school to top 30 in all D1. And then from, well, I don't know what you finished there that first year.
2: Back, 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 I didn't make the final. Yeah,
1: I was. So let's still say top 30 D1 to top nine in the world a few years later. Now, obviously there's years and work, but that is, that is like, when you look at the grand scheme of things, top 200 in there, in the nation to top nine in the world is kind of meteoric, not mediocre.
2: <laughs> yeah. I guess I wish I had a more specific thing to say. Like I did this training, but I think um, I was underdeveloped. So that's good. Like, and I mean that forms in terms of my training, like my freshman year of college, I ran 45 miles a week, you know, Mm. and now, nowadays, you know, freshman women are probably pushing 70, you know, if they're distance girls, like they're probably pushing 60, 70. Um, Like I increased my mileage very slowly over those years. I think my fifth year, I was like, maybe 60 miles. So like, I was not over-training at all, and-
1: You left room to grow on the table.
2: There was a lot of room to grow. And I think that's my one fear with really amazing high schoolers today, is that they're doing these crazy training blocks. And I didn't even have a watch in high school. Like, again, I'm just telling you, I did not know what I was doing. So um, with all that, all that's to say is that there was so much development ahead of me. And I think there still is to this day. Um, and, and that's probably been my like, biggest secret to success is that I've not gotten balls to the wall from the gun. Um, and that I've let it evolve as I have grown and understood more and learned myself better too.
0: Mm. You know what I had back then? I had an egg timer, one of those little round dials. I would turn that baby. And then I'd go run and I'd come in and look at it real quick. That was how I knew how long I ran. So it's really like up in right? You know, like totally. the
1: <laughs> in the snow. I had an I'm old moment this summer. I went and ran a one mile road race on the 4th of July. And same kind of thing. I used to set uh, an oven timer a lot of times. And I'd run around the block until I heard it buzzing. Or right. I would just look at our grandfather clock and wait until it's at an even number and then go out for a run and come back. Like that's what I had. And there was a nine-year-old boy in alpha flies on the start line of this mile. And I just thought, you know what? I'm old. I don't get it anymore because I feel like you have to save some things for when you're ready. So you can always just get that next level of, all right, I've earned this. Now I unlock it. And that it is a different upbringing, but your, 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 your point about, you don't want to peak too early is really valid.
2: Yeah. I admire all of these athletes who go, you know, skip college and go pro right away. And some of them clearly have had amazing careers. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I just I just get a little bit worried when I see like young girls training so crazy. Um I, I was not. And again, like you talk about whole life stuff, too. Yeah. Like, I did not have a good diet. I did not like sleep well in college, like all of those little things, which I definitely preach, like you need to focus on that. But if you if you aren't yet, that's just another extra boost for you down the road, you know? Yeah. So. yeah. And
1: you really don't know who you are as an athlete until a year or two removed at puberty. And for anyone who doesn't start that on the crazy young timetable that's happening these days is really only shooting themselves in the foot.
0: Yeah, for sure. Something about a nine-year-old and alpha flies just rubs. I was sad it. actually. It makes me feel weird. I don't like it. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> it makes me feel sad too, bragging. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, okay. So that makes sense to me. And and I would say with your like progression there, uh, Stephanie is like, you know, I grew up in green Bay, Wisconsin a uh, big fish in a small pond. And I just ran to win. I ran 430 to 434 in the mile every race. And I outkicked anybody around me and I went undefeated. Right. And then I go to college and I run with a guy who's a 401 or a 359 miler. And then suddenly I'm running 410 in the mile. And it all had to do with my surroundings and rising to the occasion. So I'm actually really satisfied with that answer because I get it because you don't know what you don't know until you're forced to grow. Mm-hmm. When you're forced to grow, then you you either become somebody like you, successful, who rises to occasions, or you fade away. So obviously, you rise to occasions. So, which I think you're going to do an OCR here, but we'll still get to that coming up. But um, what, what I want to know, I guess, is is your professional career as a steeplechaser and then or as a professional distance runner. Like, what were some of um, some of the highlights and the lowlights of your career? Um, let's say, in the last you know five to ten years, like you've touched on a bit of it, but could you just like and I'll give the listeners like a good general idea of what what you were up to and all of that pre today?
2: yeah, I would say like some of my favorite memories are I mean my best memory, of course, is um 2016, the Paris Diamond League, which, you know, back then it was like in the Stade de France and it was like huge. And they had this great French um, high, not high jumper, sorry, pole vaulter who was always pole vaulting while we were on the track. So the stadium was amazing. Um, And I hadn't made the Olympic team. All those girls were in the race with me. Um, And my biggest goal was like, can I break 920? And it just was one of those perfect, Low state races where it's just all coming together. You're not even like feeling any pain, and um, I cross the line and look up, and it was nine nineteen, and it was like just such a validating moment for me because I knew I was fit enough and strong enough to make that Olympic team. And you know, I tell myself, you know, nine times out of ten, you you would have, but that was just the unlucky time where you hit the barrier, mm-hmm. and you fell. And so to go out and to to beat those two girls who had beaten me to make the team, to be the fourth American, to break this barrier, whatever, um, just was so gratifying. And it was amazing. My coach and his wife were there. We got to spend the whole next day drinking wine in Paris. Um, So it was was a great memory. Um, And similarly, you know, I mentioned I had the opportunity to race in a lot of diamond leagues. And so traveling the world, going to, you know, going to places... Doha, Morocco, China, you know, Belgium, England, like all those places just was such an amazing opportunity. I would never have been able to travel that way in my life (laughs) except for running Um, and all of that cultural impact and and knowledge it brings. Um, But the lowlights were definitely like my last few years on the track, to be blunt, like injuries, yips, um, you know, struggling with, with the right, you know, training plan. Um, and just, there's nothing worse than going to a a race for me. I'll say specifically a track race and knowing you're not ready and standing on that starting line and like trying as hard as you can and feeling like you are pushing against a brick wall or like your legs are sand and you're just like, you can't Turn over like that is the worst feeling in the world, <laughs> I'll say. Um, and that sucks. I've had too many races now that I can think of that were, you know, that were televised or whatever that I had like family of seeing and that I, I struggled through and think that snowballed into this, you know, negative mental space, physically struggling with some injuries. And it was always like, tendon stuff, not like, oh, I have a stress fracture. it heals. we're good. It's Achilles, it's planter, it's hamstring. It's like how do you get those right? Um, so that that was those are definitely some low lights, but you know the long runs up in flagstaff, you know at sunrise with your training partners or you know doing a shakeout run around a foreign city. Um, those were amazing
1: experiences. so. I don't know if that was the answer you were looking for, but. Great answer.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And you're right. Track is the most nerve wracking of all racing, I believe, because it's too black and white. It's not like a marathon where you can go out and feel it out and maybe wake up at mile 16 and realize, hey, I'm in it and I'm rolling today. And it's not like, let's say OCR, where there's a million other variables that can help you out. Mm -hmm. It's especially Diamond League in places with pacers, like you know what the pace is going to be and you know what you ran in training and you know that I am, or I am not capable of going with that. And there's really no say in the matter. So that's, I've always felt that professional running is one of the more like boomer bust emotional style sports because there's no one else to rely on. You can't tag anyone in. No. You've it all yourself. And I've always been curious and I'm glad we get to talk today because the Diamond League is like the what? It's the, the, the most prestigious series of track racing that is on this planet. The who's who of the world goes there. And it's hard to get in because you have to have an in. And usually that in is you have to be good enough and you have to have a big enough name and you have to have run a good enough time. And you have to have an agent or connection who can get you in. It's there's only so many spots on the track. You can't you can't just get into these. So it's super prestigious to be there. And I've always thought that it's like the pinnacle of running. It also has to be so difficult because if you're going overseas, you might as well hit a couple races. And I just always felt it was like almost sad seeing some of these people show up every three days or every six days or every 90s in a new city in a new country and have to put the kit back on and step up to the line knowing I just ran 405 a couple weeks ago and a day or two later and I ran 1512 and now I got to step up and do it again. And it's the same girls I was competing against and the same pacer and we're going to do the same thing. And it hurts so bad and I've just got to do it again and do it again and do it again. I I want to hear your experience on the Diamond League because as awesome as it is, I always felt a little sad for people watching it. And that's a weird way to look at it.
2: It, I'll be honest. I'm like on the opposite end of the spectrum as you because it's like, that's what you train for. Like, that's what you're working towards is like the summer of European racing and knowing you're going to live out of your suitcase for 30 days and you're going to get to go to different hotels. We'll be honest, Diamond League's put you up pretty well. So it's not like you're in a hostel somewhere. Like you get to be in a nice bed. You probably have a roommate, but you have like decent food. And like you get to ride, you know, have a bus with like a police escort down to the track. And like, I don't know, it's it's very thrilling. If you're not ready for it, no, I'm sure it's horrible. But usually for the most part, if you're there, it's because you have been performing that season and you're ready to go and you get to, you know, like, I think we, we do, you do train and prepare for not rounds like that. Cause it's not rounds, it's different races, but to be able to go and perform like every few days, but it's only for a few weeks of a
1: year. So, well, that's the difference between me watching it and you doing it. <laughs> no, I'm
2: glad it's exhausting for you. I'm sorry. It's exhausting for you, but usually for us, it's, um, Usually the first few are really fun. By the end, yeah, you're a little tired. Well,
1: I I guess because we ran indoor track and Mm -hmm. we ran in a a division that puts an emphasis on indoor track. And it was just like so many races and you got to hit your qualifier, but you also wanted to do well at conference. So then you have nationals. It just felt hard to get up for the same event against the same people on multiple days. And sometimes you'd run back to like a Friday, Saturday, twilight meet to try to qualify. And I always thought... If no one cares about what I'm doing and this is tough for me to get up for it, imagine if I had to look at the camera each time and know people are watching. So it's, I mean, it speaks to the levels of the sport that you didn't struggle getting up for it and you didn't struggle staying dialed in.
2: Well, it's all NCAA schedule is crazy, I will say, because if you're a distance runner, you are, it's three seasons in a row. And maybe you get like a couple days, like low key training between seasons, but you're back on it for, like you said, you got to get points for your team. You got to whatever qualify um, for diamond league series. Again, it's only a few months of the year and you, you really train and taper for that specifically, instead of saying, and then you get to be done and go on a holiday and then have, then the year starts over. I okay. remember though, when you talk about Daegu, I had raced, I'd been training and racing for over a full calendar year by the time I had raced Daegu because I had done cross country, indoor, tra- you know, all that from my fifth year season um, leading into Daegu. So, yeah, I was very burnt out by then too. Like, not m- emotionally, but just physically, I was gassed by then. Mm-hmm. So, I get what you're saying. And plus, indoor track is so hard. Those curves are hard. You can't breathe. You got the track hack. Like.
1: Oh, the track hack. The track hey. hack, yeah. Kirk, I know I'm derailing this on my own personal agenda, but like, what's the point mm-hmm. of having a podcast if you can't get something personal out of it? So I have more Diamond League questions. Go for it. You you talk about 30 days, like a full month of European travel. And you say, oh, it's only a couple of months, but that's an eternity when you're trying to stay sharp. An eternity. And I know you tra- you you trained well for it, but what is that? month look like when you have to hit each race in PR shape what are you doing in between to stay sharp for that because for me I always felt not this is about me but I always thought it'd be fun to train a high level athlete like that but it would be a nightmare to figure out how to navigate those big long peaking sessions in a way that's personal to that athlete who you don't necessarily have years of track of practicing that for so what was it like for you
2: yeah i'm trying to think like what do you do in the in between you do very little (laughs) you do lots of very easy mileage and then like a sharpening session depending on if it's like week to week um you might only be doing one workout and then like some strides or 200s like two days out from the race
0: you know what a workout look like specifically between such tight races an Mm -hmm. example
2: gosh, this is where I'm going
1: to sound
2: really ignorant,
1: like I wasn't actually there. Um, mm-hmm. Let me see. Uh, Are you just a I follow? I follow what's written down type athlete, and that's the extent of it? So yeah,
0: fast. I am. I'm sorry. We, am. We, just, we just did an episode on racing, like back-to-back race weekends and racing all the time, and so it's like kind of top of mind for people right now. So, I, yeah, I was just curious.
2: For sure. I mean, I wish I could uh, – Like, probably would be – it wouldn't be super, super high volume. Most likely. I I mean, I'm sure that there were definitely, if there was longer stretches in between races, more like 10 to 12 days, you would do something like threshold workout on a Tuesday and then some like fours, threes, twos on a Thursday to race Saturday or something like that. Um, But if it was like one weekend, next weekend, or even closer than that, like yeah, it'd probably just be, you know, eight hundreds or maybe a couple thousands, but not super, super high volume. And it would be more of like start at threshold paces and then work maybe work down and you can kind of go a little faster, more like VO2 pace work towards the end. But you're not
1: just maintenance.
2: You're not training to like build fitness. You're just training to maintain.
1: Hmm.
2: Yep.
0: Yeah, makes sense.
1: Yeah. How did you respond to that? again, we only have our personal perspectives. I hated tapering. I always, it it drove me crazy to do maintenance workouts. How did you respond to not going to the well, but always kind of feeling like it hurts a little more than it should when you're not doing a full workout?
2: Mentally, how was that for you? I think that, gosh, um, you're right. I hated tapering. And it's really funny. I like use a whoop now and I can (laughs) see that like my, I didn't then of course, but um, my recovery scores are through the roof, highest green after hard sessions for me or after my races, after every Spartan race, it's been like 93% recovery. And I'm like, my body responds really well to work. And so With my track time, my coach and I knew that, like, he would say, you know, you're a workhorse, like, don't be afraid of pushing, even though it's a race week, because you'll recover enough. And we didn't even have, you know, we didn't know that with the data, we just knew that from how I would feel. And so I'm sure that for me, particularly, I would do maybe a little more intensity during those like heavy race periods, just because we knew I could handle it. Um, I never really, really tapered too much, to be honest. I didn't have like weeks of, Oh, we're like taking days off or we're just running 30 minutes easy. Like maybe one day before a race, I would do that. But, um, I, I didn't really ever taper that hard.
1: Well, that's right there, right? That's got to be a huge piece to your "why did I keep improving" puzzle. You could handle work,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, until until injury. So, mm. which for me, I know that my first round of injury cycles was because I was overtraining, not with necessarily running, but I think I was having some struggles with like body image stuff, and was cross training and eating stupid, you know, like not fueling properly and not understanding that side of it. Um, and yeah, just, and then, and then you combine that with not getting consistent body work or like, cause that's, that's so important. You have to invest in that side too, at the highest level, um, at every level. Um, and so I think for me, that's when my injury cycle kind of came, I was just being a little too crazy for a body image standpoint.
1: Um, Hmm. So this is totally not putting words in your mouth, but did that coincide with that whole like online awareness of new balances, female track team? Like there was definitely a shift at some point that the new balance women, all are fit, all are fast, all are beautiful. That became kind of like the calling card. Was that around that time?
2: It was a little bit after that time. Um, I handled that fine. I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, but, uh, uh, no, I think so. My injury cycle started like uh, early 2018. And again, I was coming off of that like track season where I struggled in the steeple again. I ran really fast. And I told my coach at the time, I wanted to try and do a season of 5k. It was an off year. So I was like, I'm not going to steeple this year. I want to do, I want to do 5k. And so we were really upping my mileage and I was like running a lot of miles on the alter G to just like get more volume in. And I was just trying to like increase too quickly while not, um, like I said, paying attention enough to the nutrition and the like recovery side as I should have been for that jump. And so had an Achilles thing and just from there didn't take time for it to really heal. You know, you take a few weeks and Mm -hmm. you're kind of, Oh, back on the alter G and then, you know, and then the other planter was hurting, you know, it just is this like, it's amazing how the body is all connected and how one decision and one inefficiency on one side can show up on the other side. And like, yeah. So
0: at your level, Uh, How often is that nutrition piece addressed from whether it's your coach or amongst the other women that you're training with? Just curious if that's one of those things that never really goes spoken about, but everybody knows there's like kind of a storm cloud over it. Or are we talking openly about that sort of thing in like a training group like that? I'm I'm very curious.
2: No, it wasn't really addressed. Um, You don't really talk about it and it almost, well, again, this is just my experience. So hard to say what other groups are like, or other training partners are like, but I almost feel like there's sometimes even almost like a competition to see like, oh, like, oh, I'm eating healthy. But if you really look at the nutritional value, there's actually not much I'm actually eating, if that makes sense. Um, And it's like, oh, what are you eating? You know, I almost think that when you when groups like go to altitude together and all live in the same house and share the same kitchen, it just can be so toxic to be blunt. Like, cause then you're seeing what, what it really looks like um, for someone else's eating habits and whatever. And it can just mess with your head.
1: Mm. It's unfortunate, but you see that you see teams where one girl or one guy come back really lean one summer. Like they, they were always thin, but they were like, softer, thin, and suddenly like every striation is there and they're just gaunt and they run some PR and suddenly the whole group looks like that within a few months. And you can tell that there is some like group think happening there, whether it's said or unsaid.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that. And you see that with college teams sometimes mm-hmm. and whatever. And um it is just an unspoken, like one-up each other kind of competition. I don't know. Let's get into the weeds, but yeah, it's, it's tough. The sport is got a very toxic streak in it. I mean, but that's kind of part of like, you are running and you're wearing this race kit that is a bikini and you're, you know, you're Mm -hmm. on display in a way, but you, but you're choosing to be on display because the whole point is to beat each other. And so you can just get like, you can just imagine how you can go down the rabbit hole of that um mentally. Mm-hmm.
0: Well it's come up and it's come up a number of times on on the podcast with high-end women athletes we've had and it's but we haven't spoken to anybody you with the guys as well. And some of the guys as well, yeah. But just at, at your level, at the world level, just it's just interesting to hear kind of what that is like. Is that um is that something that you think like if you were looking at volume versus nutrition when you were going through injury cycle if you really had to listen to your your gut on that, I mean, of course it was a combination of both, but what do you think, what foot was forward there? Like maybe a little under fueling or maybe the volume, like if you had to say, hard to answer.
2: For me, I'd probably say it was the, um, the, the volume, but the way I was like conducting the volume. Like I said, I was also like cross training a ton too on top of increasing mileage on top of, Maybe not going and getting enough body work and making sure everything was like healthy, you know, being proactive about it instead of reactive. Um, and so that, and then you add in the nutrition issues. And that probably was for me like the final straw kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but what's really interesting about all this is now, I'm going to these Spartan races, I'm racing an age group, there are women who are so strong, and like just a totally different body type than me. And it's just really refreshing and, and so healthy for me to see um, in age group and elite in trails, like just the different body types and the different um, ways that these women and men are, you know, using their strength. And that's really inspiring to me there are you know we talk about some waves of of OCR where people are just like wearing the most ridiculous outfits and I'm like oh I'm embarrassed to like be in a sports bra only and then you see some like dude with his belly out and you're like wow like if you're gonna run shirtless like and I'm over here feeling freaked out like Mm. what are we talking about here like I'm you know, it just really puts it. It's a healthy thing for me to see um, everyone just a lot of body love in a in a great way, and it reminds me of like, hey, what these like weird comments you are making to yourself in your head about your body? You are being really ridiculous.
1: Well, the room's different. The OCR room is a cross section of society, where mm-hmm. the track room is a cross section of the of the thinnest, smallest, fastest. Like, there are a few women and honestly, announcing is improving, but there are still some some words and phrases that are used. It's, mm-hmm. uh, oh, she's such a powerful runner. That generally means bigger. Yeah. Or she has a, uh, a really muscular stride. Like that means she's bigger than the person next to her. And they use that without knowing, does she put out more watts? It's just a visual thing. And when you see those girls in, in for, for example, there's a US woman who's described like that at the Olympics this year. And I saw her at a race and she amongst her, her peers looks like a bodybuilder. And in real life, she was the tiniest little thing. And you realize that like the room is what causes because it's not an accurate cross section or like you arrive in OCR and it's a, it's a cross section of normal society. And it's really hard to sometimes take that blinder off and be like, I may be, the largest person in my room and I'm the smallest person anyone else has ever met in their life.
2: Yeah, and just again like there are some that you can tell these Spartan athletes are more from the CrossFit side or whatever or the running side and like just to see this all, you know, my very first Spartan race was in Ohio. You know, I was not prepared for any of the I hadn't done any prep for obstacles. I was just learning as I went. And like I was beat by some girls, you know, that I would in a running race, would have not even looked twice at you know as com- competition, but here, like they were, cru- I mean, they still do. They're crushing these races, and I'm like, you know, struggling. Um, and it's just it's a different. There's different skills involved, which require different um, strengths, which can be mm-hmm. translated through different body types, and it's really incredible to see.
0: Mm-hmm. I am. Um, I want to talk about. Uh, I guess first a question is when is the last steeplechase you've run? It was in July
2: 2017.
0: 2017. So I want to talk and we could dwell on the on the nutrition and the body image stuff all day if we wanted to, but I kind of want to get us to today. So um what was going on with you between 2017 and now? A pre-Spartan. So let's fill that gap with like that three or four years. Like what, what were you doing after your last steeple race? So
2: after that, I, um, I had still been training firmly with Robert Gary and the group was changing. The other women in the group were leaving. So at the end of that season, Robert and I sat down and we said, okay, this is, might not be the best fit for me moving forward. Um, cause there's no women to train with and, and, a couple of other things that were happening. And so, okay. I reached out to Kim Conley, who I'm good friends with. Um, she had had a group, um, you know, people like Kate Grace and Leah Fallon had been part of that group and that had ended after 2016. So she was alone. Um, and I just said, Hey, I'm thinking about jumping up to the 5k, you know, you're a 5k Olympian twice over. Like, could I come out to Sacramento and train with you? It worked out. I went out there But I was kind of, like I said, going through this injury cycle, actually did a lot of work with a biomechanist to work on my stride, which is a whole nother conversation, um, because we weren't sure if that was part of the reason for the injury stuff. And I like took months to like, relearn my stride. And it was like, the most exhausting experience ever. Um, And I I spent that 2018. Can I
1: pause you? Yeah, I'm fascinated by by stride mechanics. And there are two schools of thought, the rebuild or the refine. Sounds like you did rebuild.
2: Yes, that's what we were trying to do.
1: Can You talk about that process, because that is a extremely daunting process to something that you've put your 10,000 hours in to try to unlearn those 10,000 and then relearn in like a month or two or three.
2: Yeah. So just to give you the like quick version of this, I have always had a weird stride. Always like had a prancing, loping stride, whatever.
1: You have more ground clearance than any person I've ever seen. You get pictures taken where you look like you're hurdling on just a normal stride.
2: Well, if you watch, like there's there's definitely restrictions and again, working with this biomechanist, you know, you learn like hip restriction thoracic spine. Like if you were to look at my like spine, it is very restricted. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, It's kind of wild. Um, and so anyway, we, through working with, um, this biomechanist, Jay DeCherry, who's based in Bend, Oregon, we were kind of finding like the, the restrictions and the, the problems. And he gave me a bunch of cues to, again, you know, redefine my stride. And that process, like, we're talking, you know, you come back from an injury, it's like, you know, walk a minute, jog a minute, or whatever. We're talking Mm -hmm. about, like, like, mile at a time of, like, okay, I'm thinking through these five different cues of, like, arm swing, and foot strike, and, like, where am I, like, leaning? Like, it just was... I couldn't talk for the first like month that I was getting back into running. Cause I was focused so hard on
1: the cues. Were they trying to move your foot plant back in your foot a little bit? Yeah. Cause I'm like the reverse problem that 99% of runners have.
2: I'm a toe runner for sure. And so trying to get a little bit further back into like the ball of my foot has been a goal. Um, but honestly, like fast forward to now, um, I try not to think about it anymore. Cause it was just so in my head. And um, like, I, since all that has gone down, I haven't run as fast. Like I haven't run an all out mile. I haven't tried, but like, I wasn't making improvements in my 5k for example. And so part of this re-falling in love with running is who, who gives a shit what my stride looks like it works for me. I've run really fast. And so as long as I'm like staying healthy and managing, you know, increased intensity in miles, it doesn't matter what it looks like. And so it's really funny. It's hard for me to put videos of myself up because I will inevitably get the messages of like, "Oh yeah, are you hurt? Like, why are you limping? Do you know you have a hitch?
1: Do you know what you should try?
2: You know what you should try? Like, have you ever thought about, um, So those comments are always fun to navigate, but Hey, at least people are paying attention.
1: So, Uh, well, I mean, not to inject our own bias into this too far, but it's kind of a personal, not a kind of, it's an absolute personal interest of mine. And I can't find more evidence for than against in terms of athletes who have successfully reworked their stride. There are some that have happened, but for every example of there has happened, there's a, there's a Mary Kane or yourself who's had a, an impossible task trying to get the their mojo back. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've read that New York times article about Usain Bolt and his slight hitch or whatever. And like the fastest man in the world. So what are we talking about here? You know? Um, I think that with social media and the plethora of videos, now you're people who had funky strides before never had anyone say anything to them. Right. And now if you have anything off, You're, you know, targeted or not targeted. That sounds like
0: aggressive, but like people comment. Well, those comments, those comments are coming from very graceful people themselves, I'm sure. I'm (laughs) sure they look like they're floating. Well,
2: anyway, so, so that was part of my process. 2019, I raced the 5K at USA's. Um, and I think I finished 11th, um, which is not shabby at all, but at the same time, it's, it's hard, you know, I had a different level of expectation. I still have a different level of expectation myself.
1: And you've encountered the new wave. There's an uptick in female distance running in the U.S. Oh, yeah. Oh. And so you, you, you are also fighting an entire new, we talk about that 200 new athletes coming out each year. There were a few years where not a lot of those 200 panned out. There's a lot of them panning out right now
2: it's been really fascinating, especially again, in women's steeple to see there were like, even I will still make the argument that breaking 930 is still really challenging. Mm -hmm. But this year, so many women came out of the woodwork in my mind, because, you know, maybe they maybe we would have seen some more of the progression if they raced in 2020. um, But we're missing that year. And so girls who I'd never heard of in 2019 are like, running 925 or something. And I'm like, who are you? Where did you come from college girl from wherever? And um, they they probably were on that trajectory, but it looks so aggressive right now because of the lack of races. Um, And so women's steeple alone is just across the board, you know, from the top end of Emma and Courtney to, you know, the girls who are making the NCAA finals, like I laugh at the times that I was running in my college years because that wouldn't have even like been a, a, not even like making of NCAAs anymore. So it's um pretty amazing. But the last bit that we're missing is 2020. I went back to work with Robert Gary. I was based full-time in Arizona and, um, and that's because there wasn't really a group in South Carolina, but we knew each other so well. We trusted each other. We communicated so well that he was fine with me being based elsewhere where I could go up to altitude easily, where I had, you know, my my partner full time to like help me with training and come do camps with him. So we were on track to, you know, again, at least go for Tokyo um, despite the
0: In the steeple, sorry, or in the...
2: Yeah, the goal was the steeple. I I admit that like, I don't know what would have happened if I had truly gone and like run another steeple. I don't know. I never, I hadn't, I I haven't. And so I don't know. Um, There was a lot of work to be done before I could toe the line for that. Um, But that was what the goal was pandemic happened, you know, you take the year to keep training. Um, And early 2020, I strained my hamstring during an indoor race in Boston. And that was before COVID really had put any pause on anything. So I didn't take much of a downtime, I kept pushing, and it was fine. Um, And then January, December of 2020, 2021, it it came back and, um, I was in constant pain. I don't know if either of you've had hamstring issues, but it was like, just beyond like the tendon itself, the sciatic nerve, like all of that, like I'd be laying in bed and I'd be in pain. And it just came to the point where I was like, I have mental, I still have some yips to work through. I have doubts. I'm, I'm in pain all the time. Like I can't battle my body and my mind. And combined with, like I said, acknowledging the burnout was real, um, that all came together to contribute to me stepping back from the track. What
0: was that? A, um, well, I understand how you got to that point. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, was that a, like a conscious long term decision at that point? let's say, pre-OCR Spartan? Or was that like a temporary, like, let me just breathe for a second. In your mind, which one of those decisions was it?
2: It was like a done deal with the track.
0: Like like perpetually?
2: Yeah. I don't really have any intention of going back to the track. I had always, like I said, I met Amelia Boone in 2016. I became fascinated with Spartan um, and OCR. I like to think that I am like, an athlete as well as just a runner, you know, that's part of my push, my draw to the steeple originally. And so I just had always thought in the back of my mind, Hey, one day, like, I want to go and try this OCR thing. Um, It's kind of similar vibe with trails. Um, I've been following some of the top women, Nicole, Lindsay, you know, and just was curious, like what I could do. I love the challenge of the, like, again, that strength side of it that I haven't trained ever. Um, and I'm still like just starting to get into. Um, and yeah, I just thought that would be a really amazing next project. Um, I will say like with my with myself and my current coach, David Roach, like I don't think we expect, we wouldn't have expected this kind of, you know, I I mean, I guess I'll say success, but, um, you know, this trajectory so far and so early into this pivot, but it's been really exciting and I'm like so hungry for more.
0: Does Amelia Boone know that you put a ball in motion at all? Does she know this? Yeah, she does. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure. All right. I I know she listens once in a while, but um, so I think then it begs the question. So this came up, You decided to step away from the track earlier this year. And then what was your thought process, uh, like even just jumping back into a competition like a Spartan, even though it probably seemed equally as intimidating as unintimidating because it's, you know, who cares how it goes? I'm just going to go play. Um, Like where did that decision come from to jump right back into something after you seemingly needed a break? right? I don't
2: know. Maybe I'm like, maybe I'm just too high strung. I don't know. But like, I, I did take five weeks off for my hamstring. And that was my biggest priority was like, I can't jump into something new or try a new kind of training if I'm still dealing with an injury. So again, I, I once I stopped, like step back from the track, made that decision made that call, which did take months, it wasn't it didn't just happen over, you know, one weekend. Um there was a lot building up towards that. Um but once I decided that I said, okay, I need to, I need to heal. And some physios I was working with in Flagstaff, you know, we we got an MRI and it was like, you know, you need like four to six weeks. And so we I took five weeks totally off and not runner off where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm um what's the word I want to use? Where it's like I'm cross training like crazy, just keep my fitness or whatever. Like I was doing nothing, you know, I was eating cupcakes and drinking wine and not, you know, going on like easy walks. Um, so all that to be said, um, I had connected with, um, sorry, I'm, I'm getting some noise in the background. I'm really sorry guys. <laughs> sorry. Um, okay. uh, I connected with um, with David and we. How you plan- find David, by the way? It was, this is like going to sound like the crazy, the like most, um, just the perfect storm. I had read an article about Nicole and she mentioned her coach, David Roach. I started following like him and Megan, his wife, and I was like, I'm going to reach out to them, but I hadn't yet. I was like, okay, I'm going to draft an email. I'm going to see if they would maybe take me on. I don't know how they work um, or if they're even taking on new athletes. I posted a story from like a hike I had taken in, in Phoenix. Literally that same day, David responded to my story and was like, this is so cool. Like something really like benign. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like I literally just started following him. I had not even known about him for like a day I had planned on emailing him and I was like, wow, like just the fact that he paid attention to me, he followed me back. He responded like it just all came together. So yeah, I reached out. I think the email originally went to spam. And so I had to I nudged him one more time after a couple days. I'm like, I emailed you just in case. I don't know if you saw it. He was like, Oh my gosh, I would have responded right away. Anyway. Yeah. It just, we got on a phone call, told him, talked about, myself and plans and training and all that. And it just like came together and it's been the most amazing thing. Just couldn't be more grateful to his guidance and his patience and his like energy. Um, Because I don't think I would be where I am right now Um, from a success standpoint, but even from like a mental health when it, in terms of my running standpoint without him over these past few months.
1: So you've had two or three professional coaches prior to this when you were running track. And now you have a coach who is a trail specialist, more trail mountain. What is the difference now? Because you said you're doing things way different in training. How, because we've, I, I should back up. We've had a few steeplechasers come over. Max um, Max King. Josh McAdams, uh, I think there's been a few females that, that haven't stuck around. But then we had Cody Moat, who was a college steeplechaser and then became a world champ. And he said he just moved his volume to the mountains and kept doing all his quality work that he did in college all the way through until he was 40 and won world championships. So he just kept his steeple workouts and cross-country workouts, but ran mountain volume. What has your transition to a, a mountain trail sport been like?
2: So I would say that the biggest difference for me has been relearning an easy run. Okay. I'll be really honest, in track, if I had an easy run and I was running 7.15 pace, I'd be beating myself up. I'd be like, you're so slow. You're out of shape. I can't believe you. Like, if you're not breaking seven minutes for your easy run, you suck. Just to be blunt.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: My first conversation with David, and he's like, easy run like it could be 830 pace and i was like what like excuse me like i'm not dead here like are you kidding <laughs> um which again i'll be honest like i was i was coming from nothing i was so out of shape you know that 830 was actually pretty accurate but um you know just being okay with going 8 minutes 730 like that that's good I didn't think that was good before. And so understanding that has really changed again, my like energy and my, like I can enjoy a run. Cause when you're pushing to like break seven minutes on every run for a woman, like that gets exhausting, you know, and you're not actually getting any of the benefit. Um, You guys are coaches. You're brilliant. You know um, that that's probably not long-term sustainable. And so to be able to have, um, like runs where just for like enjoyment, like, Oh, I can look at the like scenery and I can like in chat and enjoy,
0: like that's really refreshing. Today, a personal curiosity about David and Megan, um, because they've come up a lot with high level OCR athletes now uh, being coached by them. Do they really preach that, you know, the polarized training, is that something that's pretty prominent in your new training plan? Meaning easy means fricking easy and hard means hard. Is that preached openly? with their philosophy or no?
2: Yeah, I would say so. Like, he's very clear on when, you know, and and I would say most of my runs, he says, like, they can be easy. Um, But when it is time for a workout and when it is time for, like, a a true, you know, trail long run for training, like, he makes it clear of, like, this is the kind of effort you need to put in and, like, think of this as a 5K kind of rhythm. Um, So... For me, I feel like that's how I've been communicating with them about it. So um, yeah, it's it's a different, you know, with track, it's like workout Tuesday, workout Friday, you know, long run Sunday and here it's like every Monday I have off. It's amazing. Um, I've not had this much like off days scheduled in for years um, and it's amazing. Um, workouts on Wednesdays, you know, longer runs with like some pushes on Saturdays. Like it's it just the the spread of training I'm enjoying um the the difference of like it's not all road running. It's I haven't been on a track since December, you know. Like that's refreshing and that's good for my body. I think the turns were definitely not good for my hamstrings for a little bit and um again, just the ability to say, like, there's another side of the training, there's the strength, there's the playing on obstacles, the monkey bars, like, the fact that I can just go and, like, work on a spear as a training session, like, that's really, that's fun, it's different.
0: I want to make sure we get to, to um, right now, and it just, for me, it just begs the question, like, the one that's, you know, we're dying to ask is the the why, like, the... The why keep coming back? Why, you know, typically somebody who's had a lot of success in something high level uh, comes to something. And I'm not going to say you've failed because clearly you've not failed, but you are failing things along the way in route to your victories, I guess. So, like, why coming back? Bracken, you've been in this sport longer than I have. Like, how many people have we seen come with a running pedigree and then go hit brick walls or fail and leave? Almost all of them, right? Can yep. you think of anybody with high-level running acumen like you, Stephanie, and now here you are, you've run how many Spartan races now this year? Four, okay. Four. And what's the least amount of obstacles you've failed so far in a race? Six. Six, okay. <laughs> and you continue to come back, and you're still hungry, and you're not discouraged, and it's like you see these common people coming, common meaning like nine-to-fivers with families and – Uh, they're working crazy hours and all those things. And they come in and they fail too. And they choose to come back because it betters themselves. They choose to come back for who knows what reasons, but you never, never, never see somebody with the ability you have come in and fail. And then be like, screw that. I'm going to go back to where I've tasted success before. Instead, you're just like, you're like twisting the knife right now in a sense. And my question is why? Like why? I'm a
2: masochist.
0: (laughs) We all are. So that I guess that was a long way to ask why, but I think you understand where I'm going there.
2: I have to say, I think that what I've learned about myself through this experience is that this is going to sound like a line. It's going to sound cheesy, but like I think I have the walk-on mentality of nothing is given and everything is earned. And I mentioned in the very beginning of our conversation that it's kind of exciting when people don't know who I am or don't know like what i've done on the track um and i i just don't it might this isn't gonna sound humble to say this but I, <laughs> kind of, I just don't really have an ego i don't know i just don't like i don't i i've never i don't walk around like hey did you know i was ninth in the world like that was in 2015 that was a while ago i want the next exciting thing for me for me like i i don't want to just keep resting on that i want to I'm hungry for more. But I also know that it takes time. I am not like of a instant gratification generation. I know I have to do the work. And I know that um, it's a a journey that's not going to be linear. And so I I don't really know what else to say except for like, I want to do the work to be really good and I don't want to cut corners for it. And, um, I'm, I'm okay with going back to being a beginner. And trust uh, me. Like I have some days where I'm like, this sucks that I suck <laughs> but and I'm not like happy that I'm failing seven obstacles each race. Like I know that's not going to cut it in elite. Um, but at the same time, I'm, okay with taking my time to get to where I want to be because I know that that's going to be more worthwhile in the long run.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. How 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 in this are you right now, like emotionally, as far as seeing this through, let's say? Have you decided on that yet? What do you mean by seeing it through?
1: You have goals. Are you going to stick yeah. around till you hit them?
0: Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know. Otherwise, I, I, you know, like I.
1: That's what we want to hear.
2: Maybe you guys think yeah. I'm like crazy or maybe people listening to this is like, she's full of shit. But like, <laughs> I, I don't know, like, like yesterday, like bless whoever does the, the OCR report Instagram, because they will put up like age group, you know, finishes or whatever. And they put up the age group national series and. I'm currently fourth and I hope that big bear goes off so that I have a chance to see if I can improve that. Um,
0: because you've raced two races and won them both. You just don't have your third race. Yet, I just don't have the race. Yeah.
2: Um, and I'm even like, I am not going into if big bear happens, I'm not going into that race. Like I got this, like, no, I, I don't know. I respect every race. I respect everyone that is, is in the age group. And I'll, feel the same way when it comes to elite like I don't know but I'm in this my goal is to jump up to elite next season my goal is to not fail seven obstacles every race um and my goal is to see if I can you know be the best that I can be I'm really excited for Nicole to get healthy and get back because she's one of the best that there's ever been and I want to see how I can line up against her one day um and similar for trail like I'm doing a few more trail races this year um I want to learn how to run those downhills, those technical downhills. I want to be able to go to some like US championship trail races and and compete for a podium. Like anything that I'm doing, I want to be the best. But and I'm eating a lot of humble pie right now because I'm so new. You know, I ran the US Mountain Running Championships and I was 21st. And like that hurt to be that far back, but it was one of the deepest fields and I respect that. And I know that I, I mean, I wasn't prepared for that kind of vert. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It might not be a satisfying answer or or maybe it is satisfying, but like I'm in it and I'm willing to work to get there.
1: That is what we want to hear. And I have two responses to that, that you didn't ask for. The first is that (laughs) I'm excited to see you race eventually at that level because I've watched you race. I'm a I'm a track nerd. I've watched you race before I knew who you were and who you're going to become. And I would describe you as a gritty aggressive racer. Like you put your nose in the race and you have like an aggressive arm swing when when you're like in it and everyone has their race face. Like there's the Emma face. Her eyebrows are always up and she looks like she's always like gently exhaling like you that's and you have a, like a furrowed brow. Like you are I just feel like you're always aggressively in a race and that's the kind of thing you need in this sport. And I'm excited to see that furrowed brow on course next to Nicole and next to Lindsay. So yeah, I'm excited. The second thing is that like you poo pooed your 21st mountain worlds. I don't think Kirk and I care about that because half of that's downhill. Your downhill is giving up minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes. And And that is a skill that is not an engine. And you can build skill faster than you can build engine your engine's there. your downhill will unlock so much free time on course that that twenty first doesn't even mean anything
2: well, thank you that that's good to hear i I appreciate that and, yeah, like I said, I know I'm a beginner, and it's not it's not always easy like I do have an ego somewhere, and mm-hmm. there has definitely been some like you know, some tears and some griping, my, my poor boyfriend, just say a prayer for him. Cause he's <laughs> all the things that you're not getting right now. But, um, but, yeah, to be honest, like I am like, I don't know. I, like I said, I think it's that like walk on mentality of that. Yeah. I know I need to earn it. And I'm like going to do the work over the long term to get there. So not to say that like Lindsay needs to be scared of me next year. Cause like, who knows my rate of progress hasn't been super high yet, but, um, you know, I, I want to be at the top of the national series for elite eventually. And I want to be vying for a win in in Tahoe eventually. Um, so
0: those are some big goals of mine.
1: I mean, they're, they're, you've earned the right to have big goals in this world.
0: Yeah, that's very true. I I have two more questions that I definitely want answered. Um, as we're kind of, you know, we're getting there right now. Um, Question one is going from uh, a paid sponsored elite athlete where your performance is also tied to maybe your paycheck and your longevity as a career in this sport to something where it's completely detached. I'm not mistaken, but I'm pretty sure they pay zero dollars in age groups still. So, zero. <laughs> <laughs> correct. Right. So, your outgoing is far exceeded your incoming when it comes to income. So, like that transition for you. So, moving forward, just understand you as an athlete. Your this is all passion project. There's no other goals here other than like fulfilling your own soul's needs, we'll call it. And you're moving on with the other part of your let's say, like your financial life elsewhere. So this is purely for you. Am I understanding that right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, New Balance is still technically my sponsor. I get gear and I have travel, although I haven't used my travel budget for any of the Spartan stuff because it's so like outside of what they probably are expecting. So um mm. not tapping into that. It's funny at Palmerton on one of the long uphills, I asked, I was passing someone and I was like, why are we doing this? And he was like, cause we paid a lot to be here. And I was like, <laughs> you're right. We did. I've never paid so much for uh, running adjacent stuff uh, in my whole life. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's personal. It's passion. I would, be interested in having a conversation with another sponsor down the road um, if if they thought it was worth it, um, but that's not driving me anymore.
0: Okay, yeah, that's that's what I thought. So that's great to hear. And then the other one I just want to make sure I get out there. Then is we talk about well, maybe in twenty twenty two you want to enter the elite scene, and you you have obviously been studying competition and you understand what it takes. And these these women, as you know, are no slouches. Like the top of the elite women's field you know, if they wanted to focus on pure running, their running pedigree would eventually be very impressive, in my opinion. So um, what are you going to do to get there? Like, what is your actual plan? I mean, Six fails Obstacles is not going to cut it, as you know, you know, and I'm not saying anything new, but what is, uh, what's your plan? How are we doing this? What is our approach right now?
2: Yeah. So I am definitely going to spend, I've, I've more races this year, um, trail and Spartan. Um, and probably, you know, late November, early December, I'll, I'll take a step back from racing. What's I'm learning with trail and stuff is like, there's races all the time. You could just be racing nonstop all year. Um, so I will take a few months to kind of back off on no racing and actually, back off on the running a little bit um, and focus fully on grip, obstacle, upper body strength stuff that I'm really missing. Everything that I fail is a hanging obstacle rigs, twister, bender, those things. I do not know how to move my body that way, and I have not had like the grip strength, you know. Um, and unfortunately, I live somewhere where I am. I have known OCR or ninja gyms like near me. I have to travel to go find one. Um And so that's been a challenge short term. I'll probably go and spend a couple months like a camp, you know, to do just working on those kinds of things because, you know, once I can get the twister, I'm coming for you girls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. But, so that, that'll be my biggest focus. You're totally right. Like, I have a very healthy fear and respect for all of the elite women um, especially the top of the field and they are strong runners. I will have to do more mountain running to like make sure I can hang with them at the Utah's and the Killingtons of the world um, when it comes to that kind of technical stuff but um, you know just keep, keep building back and gaining fitness for the run for me is a focus and then doing a really heavy obstacle blo- block this winter.
0: So the so the plan is sort of, not take your lumps, but we'll say take your lumps the remainder of this season, do what you can in the meantime, then get focused. Uh, you're gonna have a lot of on course acumen. At least you're gonna be able to frame your mind and what needs to be worked and then do that in the off season. Is that what yeah. I'm understanding? Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Asheville was the first race where I like was able to look at a course map and kind of make more of a race plan. My first two races were just kind of like get out there and wing it and like not understand. But with Asheville and then with West Virginia, I had a little bit more of like, okay, here's where there's long running blocks. Like you need to push there. And here's where these, these are obstacles where, you know, you could probably fail them. So like you need to you know, whatever, like I, there are obstacles that I know I can do and I'm good at. And then there's ones that like, like all the strength stuff I feel pretty good about. And it's more about gaining efficiency and faster um, at them. Like, again, I'm sure those elite women would crush me in bucket carry, even though I'm not going to fail that they can just actually move more efficiently than I can. Um, So yeah this season it's just getting that on course experience cause there's nothing that compares with that.
1: Yeah.
0: So I agree. It's a good plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My last,
1: my last curiosity kind of stems from something you said earlier, which was you didn't know what you didn't know in high school. And then you got around a training group and high level athletes and you just kind of become, again, the room that you're in, you hold yourself to those standards. Are you training with anyone, you know, Trail work, OCR work, downhill work. Are you are you learning from them? Or are you still kind of doing the lone wolf thing?
2: Right now I'm doing the lone wolf thing, which is okay. a bummer. Um that's just kind of how it is right now. But um there are some I mentioned that, you know, my my boyfriend's in Philly and outside Philly, there's a there's a really cool OCR gym there that I've been to a few times. I'd love to go and do a block there and like be with some of those athletes. Um they're not, you know. They're more of the like people who are paying to do this, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, just to be around people who can go and just like do these things that I can't do, hopefully that'll help me step my game up faster than doing it, attempting it by myself. So yeah, I'd love to find some some training partners um, for some of those kinds of things, and um, that'll definitely be a priority moving forward.
0: so tough. You spurred a question. Sorry, off of that. Sorry, you you spurred a question on that, and that suddenly is speaking of training partners. um, What has been the response of, let's say, previous training partners or some of your running comrades that you're doing this playing in the mud with your friends thing? And not to distract, sorry, from where you were going with that bracket, but it just popped into my mind really quick. Yeah, people. The track, the track. My track friends are very much like
2: not in awe that sounds like whatever but um they're lovingly laughing and saying like of course you're doing this like (laughs) you were like okay you were the crazy girl you wouldn't you would always run through the puddles and you know the whatever like you're of course you're doing you love being in the weight room like this makes sense so people love it they think it's hilarious um but like in a good way not like a ha ha like you're a clown but like what the hell are you doing with these like monkey bars and whatever? Like they love it. So very supportive.
1: So my last question piggybacks off that. And that is, we always talk about that in the sport. I say we, I just mean the sport. We are the best of who's tried it. It's kind of like steeplechasing in some extent. Like, Are there some 5K, maybe 1500, 10K athletes out there who might be able to break the world record if they put three years into training? Yeah, probably at any given point. There's someone out there who could supplant someone who's doing it. But it, it's like a, it's an invalid argument because they're not trying it. So you are the best of who does it. But we know that there are better runners than us out there. We all ran. We know where we stack up and we found a sport that suits our skills. So if you've seen that world, we've only seen it from the outside. Who would you bring in? If you said, I have to bring in, a, like, we're going to take over the podium, top three men and women. Three years from now in OCR, two years from now, who's your hit squad? You would bring over the best you've ever seen at skills that would translate to this.
0: That is so hard. I love that question, Brad, because oh my-
1: I have my my fantasy list. Right, the fantasy is like fantasy football, not like weird weird guy fantasy, <laughs> mom's which
0: you're also into, but. <laughs>
2: Wow. Okay. This is really devolving. Um,
1: <laughs> devolving. It's
0: a dirty word. Kind um, of like my mistake of brackens. Uh,
1: yeah. You f- Bracken. Forget about the word fantasy. That didn't come up. We'll edit that out.
2: I'm just teasing.
0: I know what you're. Uh,
2: I know what you're going for. I've. Uh, this is really tough.
0: Um, who's got what it takes?
2: Who's got what it? T- I mean they're not here doing it. So I'm just kidding. Um, Oh my gosh. So wouldn't it be amazing to see like someone like Ashton Eaton come in to OCR? Oh my gosh. That would be amazing. That's not so
1: much a runner. Let's see. Distance runners. I always wondered about Alan Webb because of all the plyo and lifting he had always done. Interesting. Okay. And he, you know, he ran 20, what? 2730 10k in his first attempt or something like he had some Mm -hmm. distance wheels oh he's just yeah he's an icon he's an icon in the sport um
0: chris Zelensky and put him back into training my goodness
2: chris Zelensky would be great i was actually just thinking like ben true i wonder
0: oh yeah skier right
2: yeah he could be a good a good
1: one i'd like to see him do like a log carry garrett heath maybe garrett heath would be good i like that what women are animals like athletic animals that we don't know about. Now you're talking, having me
2: think about my competition and I don't know if I want to think about that. know um, they're not coming over. I mean, I'd be curious to see someone that I like, I'd be curious to see what Colleen Quigley could do. Um, really? She's strong. Um, I don't know how she'd be with trail running like the trail aspect of it. Yeah. She's injured. She's been injury prone. Um, but I feel like she has like the bod to get like really ripped and like do some things. Um,
1: Gosh, what other, who else do you have on your list of women? Well, I don't want to lead you into this or talk about women that I think could do your job. I'm not going to say that. I'll stick to the men.
0: (laughs) What do you got, Kirk? I'm satisfied already. So it's a tough, it's a tough question to answer. It really is.
1: Well, in college, we always had the people in our group, like you do a little bit of weight room work and you realize that person's doing pull-ups. Or you you're like go out and play, like play, I don't know, frisbee or flag football. And you're like, oh, that person, like, you know who those athletes are or someone was all state and, and soccer. And I, I didn't know if in the pro ranks, there are the people who are always like, we know that we're all great runners. But like if a fight broke out, she's the one I'd want on my side. Or if there was like an athlete competition, she's the one that would be the one.
2: Well, see, if I was thinking that way, I wouldn't be thinking about distance runners. I'd be thinking about hurdlers and right. sprinters and those, you know, some of those girls might not want to go and run a beast. I'm sorry. No, of course. So, um, it's funny. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't really think I, 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 yeah, I didn't really think about my fellow distance runners that way because I thought of myself as that person. And that was what set me apart. See how this works in my brain. So I
1: can't think that they're also able to go do this. Well, then maybe that's the answer. It's you. So you are the one.
2: Well, here's the thing. I like to think with Spartan, you know, you're jack of all trades, master of none.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That's me. <laughs> so,
1: but you um, come close to mastering a trade.
2: But same with steeple, though, because with steeple you had to be able to have that 1500 speed, that 5K strength, and the ability to hurdle over things and jump through water pits and yeah. run with run with wet shoes, which everyone
1: asks about. How do you run with wet shoes? You just you just do. You just do. You have a choice. Um, so well, I'll wrap this up by saying I ran one steeple in college and three four hundred meter hurdles as bets. And I had never felt a true fatigue like those. They felt like the last mile of cross after lap two. And so I've always had a very healthy respect for people that can get in a flow steepling because I don't care how small a hill or a barrier is, if you run it fast enough, it destroys you. And so I think that if I could pick any event to come over from, the fact that you're a steepler bodes well.
2: Well, thank you. And yeah, I mean, like I said, my steeple coach is happy with my my
0: wall climbing ability. So (laughs) that bodes well, I think. Very promising. Uh, I think I just have one last question uh, for you. And it's funny, I had a friend in um, high school and still one of my best friends. And if I was like dating a girl back then, he would go up to her and he would be like, What is your intentions with my friend Kirk? He was my quirky friend. And you'd put these women on the spot and they, they'd sort of, you know, fumble over their words. And I kind of got a kick out of it. Well, right now you're kind of dating Spartan, aren't you? A little bit. You guys are, you've been out on a few dates, you're feeling things out a little bit. Yeah, you've been talking. Yeah, you've been talking a little bit. So my friend, my friend Luke would probably ask you then, like, Stephanie, what are your intentions with Spartan? What do you intend to do here with Spartan? I want to I hear your intentions. Call your shots. Where are we going with this? I'm going to rock Spartan's world. <laughs> That's what my friend Luke would have wanted to hear. When, when, when he <laughs> Not that what Spartan. I expected to hear.
2: <laughs> what you Spartan's never going to be the same once I'm done with it.
0: Exactly. What do you, what do you really,
2: um, <laughs> <laughs> really went
0: no, none of my, none of my girlfriends back in high school gave that answer to my friend, Luke. You would have been very impressed. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but really like, if this goes as you intend, like your intention is to be what in this sport? I would like to be a world champion in the sport.
2: I'm not saying next year. I'm not saying in two years, I'm saying that I'm 33. I hope that, you know, within, you know, you think in Olympic cycles within the next Olympic cycle, I am vying to be, you know,
1: at the top of the sport. That is as humbly as you can state that. I like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you wouldn't quite come out and say, I'm going to win worlds. I'm going to be the best. But you can tell that intense there, but you're a good person at the same time. So you won't say it. So I accept no, that answer.
2: I, it just goes back to like, I've always wanted to be the best, whatever level I'm at. So I would like to be the best age grouper. Um I kind of started mid-season so maybe I won't maybe maybe big bear won't happen maybe I won't do well it, I know it's not going to be linear but eventually I want to go to elite and I want to work my way up there and I want to work my way up through the Americans and then what's next it's the world so there's a long way to go and
0: but that's where else would I be doing it I like that
1: I'm happy leaving it right there
0: I sure am I think there's going to be a lot of The women in this sport um, know you exist, Stephanie. They know what you're up to. They know your trajectory. I think they know your intentions because they've all come on to what you're doing, following you on social media. You've been pretty good about bringing the public through your journey, I think, in a very humble and understanding way. And I think everybody's sort of holding their breath a little bit, um, which I'm very excited to see play out.
2: Well, again, I know it's a process and this is not me trying to throw elbows at anyone today. Um no elite needs to be scared of me today with my rate of success with obstacles. But you know, I wouldn't jump into this the way I am unless I was wanting to play the long game.
0: Yeah. You've proven that because you've come back four times and you filled at least six things or more every race and you're still signed up for more. So that that's already proven everything we need to know about you, you know, coming back, so I'm on board. Awesome.
1: Thank you so much, Steph, both for coming on and for being a positive addition to this sport.
2: Thank you. I'm I'm so grateful for the way that the community has been treating me so far and you know the friendships I'm I'm making and the advice everyone's giving me and um
1: you know I'm
2: I'm very excited for the road ahead.
1: We're excited to
0: watch it. Thanks guys. Thanks Stephanie.